All right, praises be to our loving Abba that we are able to gather once again to study his words and commandments. We're going to talk about the book of Revelation. We are in chapter 8, I believe, and in chapter 8, we're going to look at the seventh seal. The seventh seal, of course, is divided into trumpets. Tonight, we'll look at the first two trumpets and what it means not only as a sign concerning the unfolding sequential events of the seals of Revelation, but also its deeper significance concerning the plan of Yahuwah and his work of redemption and restoration that is ongoing up until this very day. So let's begin with a brief review concerning how the unfolding of the seal events took place according to the sequence of historical events. We know that the first seal was fulfilled in the papacy that was in 534 AD, 880 terrorism, 1000 AD feudalism and serfdom, 1279 to 1351, the fourth seal, the rider of that horse was death. Death was brought about by different uh, ways, uh, war, famine, pestilence. And after the fourth seal came the fifth seal, which was the martyrdom for the word of God, 1524 to 1651. And in 1755 to 1833 is the sixth seal, which consists of four different events, which represent basically ter terrifying natural events causing fear of judgment, like the Lisbon earthquake, followed by the dark day in New England, then the Leonid meteor showers, and the Sumatra megathrust earthquake. And finally, the seventh seal opens in 1908, with the Tunguska blast, which we discussed in our previous episode of the BHP. And so now we're going to talk about the trumpets. And so when we read Revelation 8, 1 to 2, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. And so the seventh seal begins with the Tunguska blast. Afterwards, we see the blowing of seven trumpets. To understand what this means, we need to understand the structure of the book of Revelation. And so we have the seven seals, and the seven seal has seven trumpets, and the seven trumpet has bowls of wrath, the seven bowls of wrath. Today we're going to talk about the first two trumpets. And so trumpets is the next sequential events that is shown by the book of Revelation. Now, when we think of trumpets, we know, of course, it has many purposes, and we'll talk about that a little later on. But one of the purposes of the blowing of trumpets is to announce war. For example, Jeremiah 4, verse 19, Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pain in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my, oh my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. So one of the reasons for the blowing of trumpets is to sound the alarm of war. And so we should not be surprised if many of the trumpet events that we find in the book of Revelation concerns war. And so it's war related. And even in the New Testament, Corinthians 14, 8, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle. So one of the chief purposes of the sounding of the trumpet is to alarm the people, to prepare them to go to battle, to prepare them to go to war. So let's take a look at the sounding of the first trumpet. Revelation 8 verse 7, the first angel sounded 
and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. And the third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. So Apostle John, in his vision, sees an event, and the event that he sees, he describes in this manner. Hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. So the earth is being harmed, it's being destroyed. And a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. So there's devastation that happens on the earth, devastation on the trees and the green grass. Now, what do we believe was the fulfillment of this trumpet event? We've discussed this in one of our previous Bible studies. Uh, we can go ahead and send you the link uh, concerning that Bible study. But we've talked about this before. We believe it was fulfilled in World War Number one, which erupted in 1914, and the total fatalities are estimated to be 15 million. World War I is famous for its trench warfare. So World War I was unprecedented because prior to World War I, there was relative peace on the earth. And all of a sudden, like out of the blue, there was warfare taking place that involved not just two or three or five nations, but all nations throughout the world. This is why this was unprecedented. It was the first war fought in three dimensions, by land, by sea, and by air. And the fatalities, well, it was 15 million, according to some estimates. This took place in 1914. Now, what was significant about the war that took place in 1914? In the book, uh, one of the books that we referenced earlier, uh, World War I brought many new changes to how wars were fought. How so? The artillery underwent the most revolutionary and scientific advances during, during World War I. Bayonets, pistols, rifles, machine guns, flamethrowers, grenades, and tanks were also used. Some lighter weight weaponry, such as trench mortar, was also developed, designed to fire a projectile at a steep angle, usually more than 45 degrees, so that it can reach enemies in the trench by falling down straightly. And so what happened during World War I was advancement, scientific and revolutionary advances when it comes to artillery. This is why they invented many ways by which to kill the enemy, which involved a lot of explosives, a lot of... Uh, uh, artillery and the use of the trench mortar, according to the description here. And the trench mortar was this is how it looked like. It's designed to hurl explosive way up into the air and then to land straight down. And so you would have a falling of explosive down against the enemy. And this was done throughout World War One. And because there was a uh, basically what you call an outpouring from the heavens of this kind of artillery, the people fighting in the war had to dig deep trenches. This is why World War I was called the warfare in the trenches. And there is an example, the red bold line represents the trenches that were created to protect themselves for the heavy artillery and explosions that took place when the armies fought against each other. And so when Apostle John saw this event, he describes it as hail and fire following mingled with blood that were thrown 
to the earth. And so the hail represents the artillery shells. And after the explosion, which created fire, it, create, it killed many people. And so the artillery shells mingled with blood, the blood of the people who died because of the exchange of warfare. And so the war, World War I, as described by the Apostle John, tells us that something's going to happen to the earth. Now, when it says to the earth, take note of the use of the definite article, the earth. It does not simply say we're thrown to earth. There's a big difference. You see, it's like when you say an apple, it represents any apple in general. When you say the apple, it is very specific. And so when the Bible says the earth, it is a specified location. And in this specified location, a third of the trees were burned up and the green grass were also burned up. And so when the Bible talks about the earth being harmed, it's specific about a certain location where warfare was taking place. So the heavy explosives uh, bombarded everything in the terrain in between the opposing army's trenches. The destruction was so devastating that the terrain was later given the term no man's land. The intensive bombardment reshaped the terrain by not only burning up many green trees in the war zones, but also burning up all the green grass and overturning the soil to the extent that the earth's surface crust was destroyed in the area, exposing the next soil layer underneath. So because of the artillery, the explosives, the warfare, the war zones, the trenches, they experience, it experienced a destruction of the grass, the trees, and even the soil. Here's an example of how it looked like during the war, World War Number One. This place was called No Man's Land. And according to descriptions of eyewitnesses during the war, they say that wooded areas were destroyed utterly and the topsoil was blasted away to the unyielding underlying chalk, 43 bombs per minute. That's a lot of bombs, 43 bombs per minute. Over 36,014 hours fell on the city. The combination of shelling, entrenchments, and mining removed soil to underlying chalk in the most devastated regions. And without a layer of topsoil, the earth cannot support agriculture. This is why the Apostle John adds that specifically to the earth or the war zones, a third of the trees were burned up, all green grass was burned up. And so we believe this was fulfilled in World War Number One. World War Number One is so significant. We have a separate video covering World War One. We do hope that we can upload that, but we've already uh, presented that lesson. If you want to go in depth concerning World War Number One, we want to show you that link. Can, do we have that link still? We don't know, huh? So we'll go ahead and make sure somehow we will be able to upload that specific video. If not, we can do another video. Uh, anyways, uh, that's World War number one. Now let's go to the fulfillment of the second trumpet. We read Revelation 8-7. Let's now read verses 8 down to 9. Then the second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And so this is a description of the Apostle John 
of the event that takes place as the second angel sounds the second trumpet. And so according to the Apostle John, what he sees and what he writes in his description is a great mountain burning with fire. It's thrown into the sea. And so there's this fire that looks like a great mountain. And from, from it, is, it is thrown into the sea. And because of this, a third of the living creatures in the sea died. And a third of the ships were destroyed. And so this was the description of the Apostle John. Again, take note of the definite articles that we see here. It says the sea, the living creatures, the ships. Right? And so Apostle John is telling us that this is a description of specific locations, specific place, specific kind of living creatures, and specific ships. And so we'll take a look at what this could possibly mean. Oftentimes when the Bible uses the sea, it could also refer to a nation. There's a nation that is in the middle of the sea and which we believe was the fulfillment of this prophecy. And that place, of course, is Japan. Japan is right, right smack in the middle of a big sea or a big ocean. And so Japan, when we look at history, is there an event in Japan's history which took place after World War I, 1914, which was unprecedented, never happened before. It was so shocking and devastating. It merits the description of this event as one of the trumpet events. And when we look at the description, we can say yes, without a shadow of a doubt because of how it's described by the Apostle John. And so according to the scriptures, there's a great mountain burning with fire that was thrown into the sea, which is referring to Japan. And so a great mountain burning with fire. Have you ever seen a great mountain burning with fire? You might say, yes, it's a volcano, right? But I want you to take a look at the next picture and let me know if this reminds you of a great fire that looks like a mountain. Does it not look like a mountain? A fiery mountain. What exactly is this picture about? It's the explosion, the detonation of this guy here, an atomic bomb. You see, what happened in Japan, it was something that never happened before. And this was the, ex this was the detonation of the first hydrogen bomb, which basically caused World War II to end. And so we believe the fulfillment of the second trumpet is World War Number Two. If World War Number One was devastating in terms of casualties, fifteen thousand, World War Number Two is even more devastating because it killed sixty-six thousand, uh, sixty-six million, compared to fifteen million in World War Number One. So sixty-six million for World War Number Two, and it was put to an end when this bomb was detonated, and the other one also, one in Hiroshima and one in Nagasaki. Right? And so when the bomb, the atomic bomb was thrown or when it was detonated, well, we know it resulted in a spectacular visual of a great mountain burning with fire and it was thrown into the sea. Now, why does the Apostle John say that the great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea? Well, because according to those who know all about bombs, 
the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima, Japan, was named Little Boy. Regarding this bomb, the National Science Digital Library provides the following explanation. On August 6, 1945, it was exploded at an altitude of about 1,900 feet, 600 meters, above the city of Hiroshima, Japan. So the explosion took place above the city, and so it was hurled to the sea or towards Japan. This is why the explanation is a great mountain burning with fire. It was it exploded above uh, Hiroshima and then thrown to Hiroshima, causing a third of the living creatures and a third of the ships to be destroyed. Now, let's go ahead and take a look at the living creatures and a third of the ships. When it says the living creatures, you might be thinking sea creatures. But remember, the sea refers to Japan. And so the living creatures are not sea creatures, but specifically, what kind of creature? Well, in James 1.18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Here, when the Bible uses the word creatures, it's referring to what? Human beings. And so in the Apostle John's message, when it speaks of killing a third of the uh, of the, the, the creatures, it's talking about uh, people, okay? Talking about people. Uh, yeah, a third of the living creatures. It's not sea creatures, but human beings. And according to a study, the population of Hiroshima uh, before the bomb, the atomic bomb, was sent there, ranged from 340 to 350,000 people. And the fatalities due to the atomic detonation, it was estimated to be around 90,000 to 166,000. The estimated fatality rate is between 25.7% and 48.8% of the population then. So it fits the description of the Apostle John, roughly one-third of the people perished or died or were killed because of the explosion, the atomic bomb. And the Bible also says a third of these ships, what ships were, was he referring to? Well, the number of total ships that participated in World War II. And so it's speaking about specifically the ships. Which ships? Those which participated in World War II. How many? 105,127 ships for transporting humans, food, artillery, fuel, and others. And the total number of ships that sunk during World War II were 36,387 ships. Calculation reveals that nearly one-third, 34.6%. And so we have here the uncanny fulfillment of the description concerning the second trumpet event. It fits World War number two. Not only does it describe the weaponry that killed one third of the people in Hiroshima, but also destroyed one third of the ships that were used during World War II. And it fits also sequentially, right? It happened after 1914, which happened after 19. And so what we have is the first two trumpet events were the two world wars. And we're not surprised because trumpets are often blown to signal the alarm of what? The alarm of war. So the first two trumpet events points to World War I and World War 
two. So Revelation 8, 7 to 9, the first angel sounded his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. So the first two trumpets resulted in the harming of the earth, the trees, and the seas. You see that, right? But why are we sure? What further proofs that these events, that is described by the Apostle John, that we find as the event that will take place after the blowing of the first two trumpets was indeed fulfilled in the two world wars. How do we know that for sure? Well, what further proves that the first two trumpets was fulfilled in the two world wars? If we go back to Revelation 8, 7 to 9, take note, it destroys or it, the result is it harms the earth, the trees, and the seas, right? And so what event, according to the book of Revelation, will harm the earth, the trees, and the sea. We read Revelation 8. The event that will bring about the devastation on the earth, the trees, and the sea was actually described in the chapter before Revelation 8 that we did not yet discuss, which we should do so today. In Revelation 7, 1 to 3, for many of us, this will be very familiar, but let's take a look at what it says. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, the wind uh, of the earth, uh, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the tree, the sea, or the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Remember, the question we asked is, in Revelation 8, it mentions the harming of the earth, the sea, and the trees. What is the cause of the harming of the earth, the sea, and the trees? According to Revelation 7, the chapter before Revelation 8, it is the wind, the wind that blows. This is why the Bible says the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or on any tree. Why? Because when the wind blows on the earth, the sea, and the tree, what will it do? It will harm the earth, the sea, or the tree. So there's this wind mentioned in Revelation 7, and it's not bringing harm to the earth, the sea, or the trees. It doesn't happen until when? The blowing of the trumpets. So at the blowing of the trumpets, that's the beginning of the wind harming the earth, the sea, or the trees. Now, what is that wind all about? Well, to what is wind likened to in biblical prophecy? Jeremiah 4, 11 to 12, 19, at that time, it will be said to this people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the desolate heights blows in the wilderness toward, uh, toward the daughter of my people, not the fan of to cleanse, a wind too strong for these will come for me. So Jeremiah, a prophet, is describing something that he likens to wind. He's not talking about a literal wind. He's talking metaphorically here. A wind too strong uh, for these will come for me. 
Now, I will also speak judgment against them. Oh, my soul, my soul, I am pain in my very heart. My heart makes a noise in me. I cannot hold my peace because you have heard, oh, my soul, the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. And so according to the prophet Jeremiah, what is likened to war? Wind. So when the wind is blowing, the war is bringing devastation to the earth, the sea, and the trees. Well, how else does the Apostle John describe this war? Well, he mentions four winds from the four corners of the earth. But then when you keep going, it says the wind, no longer four winds. And so this tells us what? Why does it say this wind are four winds from the four corners of the earth? Jeremiah 49:36 against Elam. I will bring the four winds from the four quarters of heaven and scatter them toward all those winds. There shall be no nations when the outcasts of Elam will not go. So the four quarters of the earth represent four directions. In other words, this wind that comes from the four corners of the earth, it will be worldwide in scope. This is why the wind that will bring harm to the earth, the seas and the trees, it will be a world war, which was fulfilled in the first world war and the second world war. And so that's the lesson of the two trumpet sounds. It corresponds to the judgment of Yahuwah upon the earth, allowing war that would lead to devastating damages and killing millions of people. However, we believe there's something greater here, something deeper here. Because when the Bible speaks of trumpets, we know that trumpets has a significance to Yahuwah and his people. And so superficially, the two trumpet events that was fulfilled in the two world wars. However, there's also something that Yahuwah is going to do simultaneous with the blowing of these trumpets. What could that be? Well, for us to answer the question, we need to first understand what's the purpose of the blowing of trumpets, right? What is the purpose for trumpets in the first place? What are the different purposes for blowing trumpets? Let's look at Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion a, and uh, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of Yahuwah is coming. It is close at hand. So what is one of the purposes of the blowing of trumpets? One is to announce that the day of Yahuwah is near. And when the day of Yahuwah comes, it means the end of this age. In other words, it's speaking about the drawing near of the end of the world. That's what it basically is. So you, one of the purposes of the trumpet is to alert the people of Israel that the day of Yahuwah is near, or the day of judgment, the day of the end, is fast approaching. That's one. What else? Let's look at Numbers 10, 8 to 9. The sons of Aaron, the priests, are to blow the trumpets. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you and the generations to come. When you go into battle in your own land against an enemy who is oppressing you, 
sound a blast on the trumpets. Then you will be remembered by Yahuwah your God and rescued from your enemies. But also is the purpose of the blowing of trumpets. Bible says Israel will be remembered by Yahuwah their Allahim during times of oppression, during times of war, when they sound the trumpet, Yahuwah remembers his covenant with Abraham, his covenant with Israel. Do you know what Yahuwah calls, or what the Bible calls Yahuwah's covenant with Israel? It's called an everlasting covenant. <laughs> this is why Yahuwah will not betray Israel, despite the fact that they have rejected Yahuwah so many times. Yahuwah says to Israel, he is my firstborn son. And Yahuwah will find a way. He will remember his covenant. When the trumpets have sounded, Yahuwah will remember his covenant with his people, Israel. And so that's number two. For Israel to be remembered by Yahuwah in times of battle, and oppression. What else is the purpose of the blowing of trumpets? Psalm 81 verse 3. Sound the ram's horn, which is the uh, trumpet, at the new moon. And when the moon is full on the day of our feast. So one of the purposes of the blowing of the ram's horn or the trumpet, the shofar, is to, uh, is to announce the new moon, which basically is the new month, which represents a new beginning. And so trumpets are often blown in the Bible to mark a new beginning or a new work. This is why in Genesis 8, verse 13, and it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the ark, the covering of the ark and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And so this happened after Yahuwah judged the earth, right? The earth was covered by floodwaters, killing all human beings, except for those who were in the ark. How many were there? Eight. And so everyone in the ark did not perish. Everyone outside the ark perished. And so the same can be said about the land animals. Those who were inside the ark, their purpose was to replenish the earth after it would be destroyed. And when uh, did Noah... Find the surface of the ground dry on the first month, the first day of the month. This is in Genesis. However, this first month, on the first day of the month, it was changed in Exodus. After Yahuwah sets free the people of Israel from bondage in Egypt, Yahuwah speaks to Moses and there's a change in the understanding of the calendar. Yahuwah says, now Yahuwah spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying, this month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. And so Yahuwah changed uh, the months and the meaning of the months. And so before the first month was the seventh, and then the seventh now becomes the first. And so in Genesis 8.3, the first month, the first day of the month, this happens to be the seventh month, the first day of the month, which is the day of trumpets. So trumpets basically represented a new beginning, a new age, a new work for Israel. And so that's purpose number three, to mark a new beginning. 
or new work for Israel. This is why you always have like the new moon festivals. And so it's basically giving the people of Israel a way to kind of renew the relationship with Yahuwah. What else is the purpose of blowing of trumpets? Numbers 10.10. Also at your times of rejoicing, your appointed feasts and new moon festivals, which we talked about, you are to sound the trumpets over your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, and they will be a memorial for you before your God. I am Yahuwah, your Elohim. And so here is another example or another purpose of blowing trumpets. What is it for? It is to serve as a memorial, to commemorate what? The appointed feasts. What do we call the appointed feasts? Moedim. What's the purpose of the Moedim? It is the timeline of Yahuwah's work of redemption and restoration. And so one of the purposes of the blowing of trumpets is to remember the work of redemption, the work of restoration that follows that timeline for the people of Israel. As number four, for Israel to acknowledge the Moedim, which is the timeline of Yahuwah's work of redemption. What else? Numbers chapter 10, one to seven. Yahuwah said to Moses, make two trumpets of hammered silver and use them for calling the community together and for having the camp set out. When both are sounded, the whole community is to assemble before you at the entrance to the tent of meeting. If only one is sounded, the leaders, the heads of the clans of Israel, are to assemble before you. When a trumpet blast is sounded, the tribes camping on the east are to set out. At the sounding of a second blast, the camps on the south are to set out. The blast will be a signal for setting out to gather the assembly, blow the trumpets, but not with the same signal. And so what also is the purpose of the blowing of trumpets? It is to alert the different clans of Israel to gather together. And so sometimes you have the tribes of Israel scattered about, right? But there are, there are different ways of blowing the trumpet, which would signal what they needed to do. Sometimes the leaders would meet together. Sometimes all of Israel will meet together. So the purpose of the blowing of trumpets is to bring together, to assemble together the people of Israel. Okay, so that's number five, to assemble, gather Israel together. What also is the purpose of the blowing of trumpets? Joel 2, 15 and 16. Blow the trumpets in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leaving his room and the bridal chamber, rending your heart and not your garments, return to Yahuwah your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. But also it's the purpose of the blowing of trumpets. It is to call Israel not only to be gathered together, right? Not only that, but especially to call them, to alert them, to inspire them, not just to be together, but to rend their hearts, not their garments. What does that mean, to rend your hearts? It starts with letter R. Repent. Yahuwah God uses the trumpets to alert the people of Israel to repent. Why do people need to repent? Because of sin. When people turn away from Yahuwah, what needs to happen? We need to return to Yahuwah. This is what the Bible says, after repenting, 
the work of repentance is a return to Yahuwah, our Elohim. And so one of the purposes of the blowing of trumpets is so that the people of Israel can be gathered together for the purpose of repentance and returning to Yahuwah. Why is that important? Because Yahuwah wants to fellowship with his people. This is why when Yahuwah establishes covenant with his people Israel, do you know how he brought himself near the people of Israel? Exodus 19, 19 and 20. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then Yahuwah came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain. And Yahuwah called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. And so what did Yahuwah do to invite people to be, to be with him? There was a sounding of trumpets. This is why the sounding of trumpets causes Yahuwah to remember his covenant with Israel. The sounding of trumpets is an invitation of Yahuwah for his people Israel who sinned against him to come together to repent and to return to him. That's one major and important purpose of the blowing of trumpets. Number six, right? A call for Israel to repent and return to Yahuwah. What else? Let's look at one more. In 1 Kings 32-35, King David said, calling Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah, son of Jehoiada. When he came before the king, he, he said to them, take your Lord's servants with you, and said, Solomon, my son, on my own mule, and take him down to Gihon. There have Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel. Blow the trumpet and shout, long live King Solomon. Then you are to go up with him, and he is to come and sit on my throne and reign in my place. I have appointed him ruler over Israel and Judah. What also is the purpose of the blowing of trumpets? It is to announce that Israel recognizes a new king. And we can see this again in 2 Kings. That's not true. They said, tell us, Jehu said, here's what he told me. This is what Yahuwah says. I anoint you, over, I anoint you king over Israel. They hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. So trumpets were blown to indicate that Israel is now accepting a new king, right? So trumpets are blown. It's an announcement to the people. We now have a new king. So those are the different uh, purposes for the blowing of trumpets. Number one, to announce to Israel that the day of Yahuwah is near. Number two, for Israel to be remembered by Yahuwah in times of battle and oppression. Number three, to mark a new beginning or a new work for Israel. Number four, for Israel to acknowledge the Moedim, which is a timeline of Yahuwah's work of redemption. Number five, to assemble, gather Israel together. Number six, a call for Israel to repent and return to Yahuwah. And number seven, for Israel to announce a new king. And so we have seven purposes, seven different reasons for why trumpets are blown. And if you will notice, I don't know if you notice this, but I want you to take a look at that list. And do you notice something? There's something that comes up again and again and again and again. Yeah. You notice the blowing of trumpets. That is for Yisrael, Israel. The blowing of trumpets signifies Yahuwah's work for Yisrael. Not anyone else. But for Yisrael. You look at it and it's all about Yisrael. It's all about Israel, right? This is why when we go back 
to the two trumpets that take place, we know Yahuwah is also planning something for who? Yesharah. <laughs> He's planning something as indicated by the trumpets. And what could that be? What could Yahuwah, our loving Elohim, be doing or what will he do which he announced with trumpets with the first trumpet what is he announcing with the first trumpet of the seven trumpets could it be that it is to fulfill all seven of these i think so i want you to think about this when we look at these different purposes for the blowing of trumpets to announce to Israel that the day of yahuwah is near we have a time frame right i mean when is the day of Yahuwah near? Right now. <laughs> when, you block, when you sound the, the seventh trumpet of the seven seal, what does that mean? We're at the end of days, right? And so Yahuwah is going to do something when the end of the world is near. What will he do? Number two, for Israel to be remembered by Yahuwah in times of battle and oppression. So Yahuwah, when the end is near, is going to remember his covenant with Israel, Okay. Number three, to mark a new beginning or new work for Israel. So when the end is near, Yahuwah is going to remember his covenant with Israel. And he will begin a new work. What kind of work? Number four, for Israel to acknowledge the Moedim, which are the timeline of Yahuwah's work of redemption. And so far we have, when the end is near, number one, Yahuwah will remember his covenant with his people Israel. And so he will begin a new work. For Israel, right? And what work is that? A work of redemption, a work of restoration. And so, how will he do this? To assemble, gather Israel together. And so, it's Yahuwah's work of bringing Yisrael together. Why? Because they were scattered. Yahuwah is going to bring them together. What else? A call for Israel to repent and return to Yahuwah. This is why when Yahuwah brings people together, it is to bring the people to him. But with the case of Yisrael, what do they need to be brought back to Yahuwah? They need to new, recognize a new king. Long ago, some 2,000 years ago, Judah, they rejected the king. The lost tribes of Israel are going to get an opportunity to receive the king. This is why Yisrael, in this work of Yahuwah, is going to begin with the lost tribes of Yisrael. And they must accept Yahusha as their king, right? Because all of these seven events, they all are signified by the blowing of trumpets. And so when we think about the work that is associated with the blowing of trumpets, we can find or we can conclude that what Yahuwah will do is not just to permit the world to go into a war, but also, when you look at this, the summary is when the end of the world is near, as indicated by World War I, which broke out in 1914, Yahuwah will remember his everlasting covenant with Israel and will begin a new work of restoration by bringing together Israel and calling them to repent and return to him through a new king. Who is that? Yosha. Do you get it? And so Yahuwah is telling us, when you see and when you hear the trumpet blown, Yahuwah is going to begin a work of restoration. And this work of restoration is what the Apostle John 
called what? What did the apostle John call this work of bringing Israel together, restoring Israel together? Let's go back to Revelation 7, 1 to 3. After these things, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees. So we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Here the Apostle John is describing the work of sealing, right? Sealing, S E A. L-I-N-G, in verse 3, it says, Do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, so we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. Now, when we read it like that, it is kind of misleading. It is as though the sealing has to be completed first, and then this event that brings harm to the earth, the sea, and the trees will take place. What is that event again? The wind, World War I, right? And so when we read verse 3, in its correct structure, which we find in the Greek, it says, do not harm, uh, say, not do harm the earth, nor the sea, nor the trees, until we seal. And so what we have is in verse 3, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees, till we seal the servants of God on their foreheads. In other words, the work of sealing the servants of God will precede the work or will precede the winds blowing on the earth, the sea, or the trees. It's like Apostle John says, you know, do not, do not let the war take place until we begin. And so the beginning first of the sealing function, the work of sealing, is going to take place right before the outbreak of World War Number 1. And so the work of sealing, that's the work of Yahuwah, restoring the people of Israel. Well, why do we know this for sure? Well, we read one, two, three. Let's read what this work is about. Four to eight. And I heard the number of those who were sealed. 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Yisrael were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Asher, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 were sealed. Tribe of Levi, 12,000 were sealed. Tribe of Issachar, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 were sealed. And the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. So according to Apostle John, when he's describing the work of sealing, what does that entail? It's, it entails bringing together, the gathering together of what? The tribes of Yisharal. It's gathering the tribes of Yisharal, bringing the people together. Remember what we discussed so far. Yahuwah's work, when the end is near, when the war is about to take place, is to begin a work of restoration, beginning with Yisharal, with Israel. He's going to bring them together. Well, how is Yahuwah? going to bring Israel together to him. What is the work of sealing entail? Let's read Ephesians 1, 9 to 14. Having made known to us the mystery of his will, 
according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and of which are on earth in him, that we who are, that we who first trusted in Christ, who are they? The Jewish people back then, the Jews, Israel, Yeshurah, specifically more from the tribe of Judah, should be the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, also for the Gentiles, right? After you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So how will Yahuwah initiate his work of bringing Yisrael together and bringing them to himself by bringing people to be gathered into one in who? Yahusha. To place their trust in who? Yahusha. What else? To receive the gospel. Brothers and sisters, what is the essence of the gospel message? That Yahusha, what did he do? He died, he was buried, and he was resurrected for our sins. That he, the son of God, the Mashiach, died for us. If we believe and trust them, receive the baptism, then we receive the sealing of the Holy Spirit. In other words, how a person is sealed is by trusting Yahusha and receiving and believing the gospel. And when we believe the gospel, when we believe and have trust in Yahusha, the Bible says that the spirit of Yahuwah is sent into our hearts and we become the people of Allahim, the people of Israel. And so when you look at the sealing work in Revelation 7, it describes the purpose of the blowing of trumpets, which is for who? Yisharal. It's for Yisharal to announce to Yisharal the day of Yahuwah's name. Because this is this, the first trumpet of the seventh seal. B is almost near. Number two, for Yisharal to be remembered by Yahuwah in times of battle and oppression. At this point, uh, the people of Yisharal are scattered throughout the world. Many of them are scattered in the Philippines. Philippines were oppressed by Catholicism, right? But Yahuwah is going to remember um, his covenant with Yisharal. Number three, to mark a new beginning or a new work for Yisharal. This new beginning will take place when Yahuwah will begin to gather them and bring them into fellowship with who? Yahusha. When Yahuwah brings them into fellowship with Yahusha, it doesn't mean the work of restoration is complete. No, it's starting. The process is beginning. Okay. What else? Number four, for Yisharal to acknowledge the Moedim, which is the timeline of Yahuwah's work of Redemption. So it's a work of restoration of the lost tribes of Yisharal beginning in a place called the East, which we talked about before. And so Yisharal will bring them together. They will be called to repent because they are oppressed and held in prison by Catholic ideology. And so they'll be set free and they're going to recognize Yahushua as their king. Because prior to this, what is the belief? Belief is the head is the Pope. Foundation is Peter, right? This has to be changed. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, the head is Yahusha. The, uh, the foundation stone is not Peter, but who? Yahusha. And so this has to be restored. 
And so this is the beginning of the work of restoring Yisharaf that is fulfilled in Revelation 7 that will take place in Revelation 8 at the sounding of what? The trumpet. At the same time, right before the war takes place because the work of sealing is going to take place before actually the sounding of that trumpet. And so Isaiah 43, 5, I mean, that's just the beginning of the work of restoration. And we know the work of restoration is a process. It's not a one-time thing, one-time thing. It's a process. And it's a long process. I mean, how many years did it take Noah to build the ark? A couple of months, a couple of years, almost 120 years, almost, right? And so there's this process that Yahuwah takes us through. And so in Isaiah 43, 5 to 6, in this process of restoration, that he will begin when the trumpet is blown during the time of war, what will the process of restoration look like? What will it include? Let's read Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. You see how the blowing of trumpets fits well with this event? The blowing of trumpets, it also represents calling the people together, right? The blowing of trumpets is about calling Yisharal together because Yisharal was spread throughout the Philippine archipelago in the far east. This is why this work, Isaiah 43, 5 to 6, which begins in Misrach in the, during a time called ends of the earth. We believe it's also a time because it corresponds to that time when the first trumpet of the last and seventh seal is blown. It's close to the end. The day of Yahuwah is at hand. And so Yahuwah is going to work. He's going to call people together. Who? Yesharal. Why do we know this is speaking about Yesharal? Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. Let's read 43, 1. But now, thus says Yahuwah, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Yesharal. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. So Isaiah 43, 5 to 6. When the trumpet is blown and the people of Yahuwah to be called sons and daughters because they're being brought to Yahusha, this work of bringing together the people of Yisrael will take place at a time called ends of the earth. We are sure they are Yisrael because this is what Isaiah 41 is about. He's specific. Oh, Jacob, oh, Israel. Isaiah 43 is about Yahuwah's work of gathering and bringing together Yisrael. Who were scattered abroad after the captivity in Assyria. And so that's the work of restoration. But we have to understand about the work of restoration. It's not instantaneous, right? What is it again? Restoration is a, starts with a repeat, the process, right? In this case, it begins by bringing people to Yahusha, but it will continue. What, what does the apostle Peter say about this? Acts 3. And that he may send the Christ, who has been appointed for you, even Yahusha. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago to his holy prophets. Here's the Apostle Peter. You know who he, who he is speaking to? Who is he speaking to? Yisharab. 
He's speaking to Israel. And he says, Yahuwah is going to send the Christ. He's in heaven now. But at the, the right time, when it's time to restore everything, that's when Yahusha is going to be sent by Elohim. And so there's this process of restoration. What must be restored? Everything. There's a lot to restore. And that everything that needs to be restored can be restored by us. And so when this restoration is described, how does Apostle Paul describe the process? Let's read Corinthians 13, 9 and 10. Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete. And even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the full understanding comes, these partial things will become useless. So according to the Apostle Paul, when it comes to prophecy, our knowledge of it, it is done through a process. We don't get the whole picture right away. It's a process. The more we gain knowledge, the more it is fulfilled, more and more it becomes complete. And as it becomes complete, the Bible says the partial things will become useless. In other words, we don't start complete. We, the, the process of restoration begins with us being incomplete. And when can we begin to complete what is incomplete? When we are brought to Yahusha. This is why when Yisrael is called by Yahuwah to gather together in Yahusha, it starts the process of completing restoration. It begins with who? Yahusha. It begins with him. Without him, we have nothing. Nothing. This is why when it comes to the work of restoration in these last days, our focus should not be people here on earth, human leaders. No, this is not their work. It's Yahuwah's work through his son, Yahusha. He must be preeminent, no one else. Restoration takes time. In fact, the whole work beginning with the beginning, the whole work of redemption and restoration is a 7,000 year process. And right now we're towards the end of it. Because we're preparing for the millennium. We're preparing for the harpazo. And so what else needs to be done? Yes, when Isaiah 43, 5 to 6 was fulfilled, it began in the far east, in the islands of the sea, where the people of Israel are scattered. They're going to be brought together at a time called the ends of the earth. And there's going to be a process. They're going to gather also in the west. But this was not the completion. What also must take place? We read verse 6. Let's read verse 7. Bring everyone who is called by my name. What name is that? The name of Yahusha. Because Yahusha expresses the unfailing love of Yahuwah. So that Yahusha can be Yahuwah saves. That is the precious name. Whom I created from my glory, whom I formed and made. And so time will come when we will, as part of restoration, we're going to accept and be identified, not by the title of Messiah, Messiah, but by the name of Messiah, which is Yahusha. Yahuwah saves, right? And this is what we have been doing, right? It's part of the unfolding process. 
This is why it's not just assembly of Christ. It's incomplete. It's not refined. It needs to be completed, right? And so it's not assembly of Christ. Assembly of Yahusha. Yahuwah saves. That's the unfolding. But it doesn't stop there. You notice we read verse 7. What comes after verse 7? Verse 8. And so now we're proclaiming and we are identified by the name Yahusha. This is why we're called assembly of Yahusha, right? Now that that has been done, what also needs to be done? Well, we read verse 7. Let's read verse 8. It says, Allahim says, summon my people to court. They have eyes, but they are blind. They have ears, but they are deaf. And so this describes us not too long ago. Even while we were calling upon the name Yahuwah and Yahusha, if Yahuwah two years ago would summon us, this is how he would call us. Blind and deaf. Yahuwah speaking to his people here. He's calling his own people whom he gathered together, even bearing the name Yahusha, right? He's calling them together and says, this is something you have to restore because right now, right now, Yahuwah is saying, you are still blind even though you have eyes. You are still deaf even though you have ears. So what do you think is included in that work of restoration? Opening our eyes and hearing with our ears, right? Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to be blind? What does it mean to be deaf? Why does Yahuwah say to his own people that you were deaf, you were blind? Why? Well, we don't need to look far. We are going to read the context of Isaiah 43. To read the context of Isaiah 43, you have to go back to Isaiah 42. And so Isaiah 42, it tells us what it means for us to do the work of restoration. What does it mean, for example, to open our eyes? Well, Isaiah 42, 7, 8. To open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am Yahuwah. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to wives. Two things here that cause people blindness. They do not see the name of Allahim. What do they see? L-O-R-D. They call upon his name, they say. But what do they say? L-O-R-D. What does Yahuwah say? Open your eyes. What will we see if our eyes are open? We will know his name. What does Yahuwah say? I am Yahuwah. That is my name. What else does he say? Do not give glory to something created. Do not give glory to another. Instead, give glory to Yahuwah. That needs to be restored. Yahuwah needs to be glorified. And how can we glorify Yahuwah if we don't proclaim his name? This is why one of the works of the assembly is to what? To preach, to proclaim, to exalt, to testify the name Yahuwah and Yahusha. What else does it mean to be blind, to be deaf? That must be restored. Let's stay in that same chapter, okay? Same chapter, Isaiah 42. Uh, he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. 
And so this tells us it's a process, right? In his law, the islands will put their hope. Which islands? The one from the east. Here, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. So Yahuwah has an accusation against his people from the islands. He's saying, here, you deaf, look, you blind, and see. Who is blind but my servant? Even though they're blind, Yahuwah calls them my servant. And deaf, like the messenger I sent. He even calls the messenger deaf. The one he sends, right? Who is blind like the ones the one committed to me? Blind like the servant of Yahuwah. You have seen many things, but paid no attention. Your ears are open, but you hear nothing. It pleased Yahuwah for the sake of his righteousness to make his law great and glorious. Who are considered blind and deaf by Yahuwah. Those who cannot see the law of Yahuwah. What is the law of Yahuwah? The Ten Commandments. They've rejected it. Yahuwah gave them the opportunity to restore it. However, I believe it's really up to us, the remnant of Yisrael, to proclaim the name of Yahuwah and to proclaim the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath. That's our work in these last days. You see, when Yisrael was called, brought together back in 1914, during the same time that World War I was taking place, that was just the beginning. And the unfolding process continues. The work of restoration continues. This is why we must continue to proclaim the name of Yahuwah, the name of Yahusha, the Moedim. We must proclaim the Ten Commandments. We must proclaim Sabbath because it's part of what needs to be restored. And when we preach about all these things, about the restoration of the name, the name of Yahuwah, Yahusha, the Ten Commandments, the Sabbath, there are many who persecute us. And there's many opposition, right? This is why Isaiah 43, 5 to 6 gives a wonderful promise to each one of us. What is that? Yahuwah says, fear not. For I am with you. Brethren, when we proclaim the name of Yahuwah, when we testify and are identified with the name of Yahusha, when we practice and observe the Sabbath, when we believe and uphold the Ten Commandments, the Ten Laws, we're going to be inviting persecution and opposition. It's a good thing Yahuwah says to us, fear not. Because it's not about them. It's not about us. It's about who? It's about Yahuwah. Fear not, for I am with you. Brothers and sisters, we still have a lot of work to do. We're barely scratching the surface. As more and more is revealed by Yahuwah concerning where we are headed, concerning the work that we must do, let's embrace. Let's embrace what Yahuwah has begun. And let's be a part of the work of restoration in its completion. We are towards the end of that work. We are at the refining part of the work of restoration. And oftentimes the refining part is the more difficult one. But we must not fear because Yahuwah Abba 
is with us. And we will succeed, not because we're wise, not because we're strong, not because we're good. No, we will succeed because Yahuwah will fulfill his promise. Fear not, for I am with you. Believe that. Receive the power of Elohim. And may, we, may he empower the assembly through his son, Yahushua HaMashiach. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father, most holy and gracious Yahuwah Abba. Thank you so much for giving us a message of hope. It's what we needed to receive, what we needed to hear. These are not empty promises. This is not wishful thinking on our part. It is written long ago what you have proclaimed. How we need it now more than ever. Yes. For there are many who seek to destroy us. Yes. Who seek to destroy this ministry who tries to undermine the work of the assembly. But Yahuwah Abba, you are with us. And you are all we need. No matter what demonic influence may be out there, targeting the work of the assembly, if you will stand by our side, we will succeed not because we're good, but because you are with us. Help us, Father. Open your mysteries to us. Help us to know and understand what we do not yet know. Because we remember not too long ago, we too were blind. We too were deaf. We did not really understand the meaning of your commandments. But now we do. Thank you for sharing that with us. As we share this with the people of the world. And our loved ones who are from our former faith. May you give us boldness. Help us to speak the truth with love. May you send your Holy Spirit. So that we will know what to say, what to do during times of great tribulation in our life. Our King Yahushua. You are our King. May all the trumpets be sounded. We proclaim you. We confess publicly we belong to you. This is why we registered. In your name. It was our way. Of glorifying your name. To say to the people of the world. We belong only to you Yahushua. Our King and loving shepherd. Be with us in the work that we do. Strengthen our faith and hold on to us, especially during these trying times. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers, for blessing our Bible study today. May you bless those who will hear them, that they will be moved to action and continue to place their faith in you and your beloved son. We believe, Father, you have listened to our prayers. For we ask and beg everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen.